The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go beyond reality. Welcome to the program. Great to have everybody here as we start another week. We kick things off here. I have to admit, I'm going to be honest right up front. I'm a little bit tired. I don't know why. The last few days I have been just really, really tired. I feel like I could sleep all day. And it's a really good, comfortable sleep. And I haven't had that in a long time. Most of my sleep in the last, I don't know, gosh, a couple years probably has been very, very restless. But the last few days I feel like I could sleep all day. And uh, in that real comfort, like really deep sleep spot. And when I'm not doing that, like right now, I kind of miss it. So, um I don't know why, but I'll take it. And hopefully I'll find it again tonight when I go to bed. It's great to see everybody in our chat rooms. Thank you for joining us. I love to see all the names start flowing through both the Twitch and the YouTube chats. Thank you to everybody for being here and being so loyal to the show. I really appreciate it. We have, we've had a great run of some terrific guests on the program. And we're going to continue that tonight with Craig Weiler. Craig is a parapsychology journalist. Now, you know, it's common for us to have psychics or people who come on and talk about paranormal topics, whatever they happen to be. And clearly they come on and they're, they're completely convinced that what they're saying is, is a fact and it's, it's real and it's true and they've experienced things. And, 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 and for the most part, they're very convincing and it's hard not to believe what they have to say, but there are skeptics to every story, particularly when it comes to psychics. There are a lot of people that are skeptical about people, others who claim to be psychic and I have to admit, there are a lot of psychics that I've worked with that I would have to say, hmm, I'm not so sure you're showing me anything here that I couldn't do if I had a little bit of training. And I don't mean in a, in a, in a psychic's per, uh, perspective. I'm talking about just being able to read people and think through, uh, you know, some things. You know, there's certain things that are pretty obvious. In fact, if you've seen the South Park episode where they talk with and about John Edwards. He's uh, featured in the episode. I don't think it's really him playing himself, but he's in the, he's in the episode. They do a really good job of explaining how some people who claim to be psychic can actually do it without any real psychic ability at all. Now, having said that, there are others that I have met and worked with that really impress me. And they say things and they do things and they feel things that I can't explain how they get any of that information if it's not from some type of... Uh, parapsychological source. So our guest tonight, Craig Weiler, is going to talk about people that are skeptical of psychics in particular, but parapsychology in general. He's going to talk about their organizations, their personality traits, and the arguments they use. And then he's going to compare scientific evidence to the skeptical perception of that evidence and explain why there is so much resistance to the acceptance of psychic ability. So while he's going to be uh, kind of explain to us why certain people are psychic and why, or not uh, not psychic, but skeptical, and what common traits exist among people that are skeptical. We'll have an opportunity to kind of weigh that side as well. So I'm excited about that. I, I love looking into this stuff. Um, I, I'm on the fence always. I mean, the way, when I put bring somebody on the show, I bring them on because generally I'm curious about what they have to say. Sometimes I leave the pro- program completely convinced that everything they said was true and accurate. Sometimes I leave the program mildly convinced and have more questions. And sometimes I leave the program thinking, you know what, this one's not for me, but there are plenty of people who found it um, interesting and fascinating. And that's the nature of the show. 
that's the the what we try to get to here is we try to present everyone's story to a degree. And then we allow our audience and our listeners and the people that are paying attention to what we're talking about make up their own decisions. I'm not going to make up the decisions for you. So Craig Weiler will be here to talk about that tonight. Uh, and again, we've, we've had such a great string of guests here. This will be no exception. Has anybody uh, taken time to check out this comet? It's pretty, it's pretty amazing. And I say that not having seen it myself, but just seeing some of the pictures. And I think that the, the figure is that this, this comet, I don't know if it's this comet or any comet will not be back. It's got to be this comet. This comet will not be back by the Earth uh, for like 64,000 years or maybe 6,400. I don't remember which of the two. All I know is that anybody listening and talking right now uh, is not going to be around to, to see it when it comes back. And um, the Northeast, we've had some pretty clear skies at night. So I, don't, I have really no excuse for not seeing this comet yet. In fact, hopefully tonight after the show... I can go out. I know it's uh, from where we are in upstate New York. It's like just below the Big Dipper. Make sure you subscribe to our channel on YouTube. Go to YouTube, search for JV Johnson. You'll find it. Please subscribe to that channel. And also you can find us on Twitch. Twitch, search for JV Johnson as well. You can follow on Twitch for free. I do encourage you to subscribe because you, there are some bonuses to subscriptions. Um, but there is a fee for subscriptions unless you have Amazon Prime. And then you can link your Amazon Prime account to the subscription on the channel here, and you'll be able to do that with no additional fee. So thank you for all the support on whatever way, uh, channel or distribution uh, platform that you listen to us on and participate. We appreciate it all. Enough of this. We're going to go to break, and we'll get our guest on the line again tonight. We're going to be talking with Craig Weiler. He's a parapsychology journalist. We're going to have a discussion about skeptics on Beyond Reality. Don't go away. Please support the program. Go to patreon.com slash Johaw. That's J-O-H-A-W. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Thanks for joining us tonight. I will um, mention that a bunch of you were with us for Saturday night's program. We, we had a booze, brews, and bros program on Saturday night instead of Friday night due to, um, actually, I had a band gig. I'll be honest with you. I had something that I had to do, so we moved it to Saturday night. It was a great time, but I will not be doing any of the things that you're suggesting in the chat room tonight. We reserve those things, like wearing a wig, for our weekend programs. I've told you this before. <laughs> anyway, welcome back to the show. It's Beyond Reality. Our guest tonight, Craig Weiler, is a parapsychology journalist. We're going to be talking about skeptics. You may be one yourself. There are a lot of people who watch the work of psychics and other paranormal professionals and say, nah, that's not real. There's something that's that's made up or whatever. I've been in this business to, to uh, long enough to know that, you know, there can be some of that in all industries, but there are people that are the real deal here. I've encountered, I've encountered them. I've met them. I know them. I've worked with them. And um, I'm probably one of the uh, most skeptical people just in general in life that there's ever been. So if I can be convinced, you may be able to be convinced too, but our guest Craig Weiler is going to sort all this out for us. Craig, welcome to Beyond Reality. It's great to have you on tonight. JV, thank you so much. Yes, it's a pleasure to be on your show. It's great to have you. Before we get started here, are you, in, I'm trying to remember, are you in California? 
I am. Yes. How, uh, how, how are things? Here. Yeah. How are things faring there for you? I mean, the country seems to be entering a whole new uh, stage of this uh, pandemic stuff, and I know California was pretty pretty active for a while. Still active there? Uh, it is. We have to be careful here. The uh, although most of the uh, the rise in cases is down in Southern California. This is literally 500 miles away from me, uh, but I do live. Uh, in, in in San Mateo County, it's one of the areas where which was one of the epicenters, mm-hmm. and uh, everybody's super careful here. There's just everybody's wearing masks, everybody's paying attention, and uh, you know, actually, it's pretty safe. Well, that's good to hear. I hope you stay safe, my friend, as well. Um, it's important that we that we beat this thing, and I think you know we're going to eventually. Craig, we're gonna we're all we'll all get through this, uh, hopefully with as few battle scars as possible. But uh, we'll come out at the other end at some point, and we'll all be uh, proud of the job we did. I think ultimately, it's it's an interesting situation. Um, I've never seen anything like this in my lifetime. Yeah. I'm sixty, and um, it, in a situation where we all have to pull together, or everybody everybody swims, or everybody sinks. It's it's a different situation. That's right. That's true. When it comes to parapsychology, um, as I introduced you, I said you were a parapsychology journalist. Tell me about that job. Um, well, it's a, it's a part-time, non-paying gig. Uh, <laughs> it's it's more of a um, you know something I do out of joy rather mm-hmm. than than being you know a, a regular job. And I go through information that's that's been gathered scientifically, and I make it accessible to people. Uh, who don't have that background? So I have, you know, I have the ability to kind of carve through the studies and carve, you know, go through uh, the information, gather it all together, and then present it in a way that uh, people could understand. And when you put this information together and you write stories and do an analysis and provide information to people, what are the most uh, effective or your most common outlets of uh, disseminating the information? Is there a journal or a periodical that you write for, or is it more of an online distribution effort? Well, I started a blog a few years ago, called, and I called it The Weiler Psy, um, and I blogged for several years on that one, uh, but it didn't really get much of a, view, uh, a readership. Mm-hmm. And then social media sites kind of got in there, and there's uh, one question and answer site called Quora, which uh, does a really good job of mediating. So mostly at this point, I've been answering questions, which is uh, it's a little bit more interactive I see. Uh, and, and more interesting to people. Where did you develop the interest in parapsychology and related topics to begin with? How'd that start for you? Well, I've, I'm kind of a compulsive blogger. And so when this platform became available, I started in on it right away. I was literally on platforms that no longer exist. Uh, And one of the things that I started to talk about was psychic stuff. And holy smokes, I got all kinds of blowback from skeptics. And it's like, what is this? Who are these people? Uh, And so they were claiming that there was absolutely no scientific evidence, blah, 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 blah. And so I checked into it. And this led me down a rabbit hole of investigating the science of parapsychology. And, oh, my God, I was hooked. That was just the most awesome <laughs> thing. I, I would have been a parapsychologist if, I, parapsychologist if I'd known this existed when I was a kid. I mean, I love this stuff. And so I investigated it more and more. And then at some point I was like, shoot, why isn't this common knowledge? I mean, there are people who need this stuff. They need to know that. You know, psychic ability isn't what the skeptics say it is. And this led to the question of, 
why is there so much difficulty accepting the scientific evidence, which is so clearly in favor of the existence of psychic ability? Uh, and this was just one heck of a rabbit hole to go down. When you started writing about this in a blog and you said you started to get a blowback, what was the position you were taking? Were you uh, kind of maybe experimenting with your own psychic ability or were you just observing others? What, how were you approaching it at that point? Uh, that's a good question. So by that time, I'd already been the, through the New Age movement and uh, I do have some psychic ability of my own. I'd explored it. Uh, I'd pretty much satisfied any of the questions that I had about it at that point. You know, I'd, I'd taken classes, I'd actually given classes, and, um, you know, read through a lot of things that are common to people who explore um, psychic stuff, the, the, the Seth books and um, in other literature. Mm -hmm. So I was pretty well read in that end of it already. And, uh, you know, the, the science of it was just, it was really more my direction. When you use a word like parapsychology, uh, sometimes the, the the actual definitions can be uh, lost in in the in the weeds, if you will. So, for our purposes here tonight, and for the work that you've done, how would you define parapsychology? Uh, parapsychology is actually a very distinctive word. It's used for scientific activities only. So, when you say parapsychology, you are talking about abstracts, scientific papers, peer reviews scientific organizations, being a member of the American Association for the Advancement of Science, all that kind of stuff. I mean, it's a very, very specific thing. And, and is it the study of those it's, things? I mean, it's the study of psychic ability. Study, specifically the, the scientific psychic study. Okay, so specifically the study of psych, uh, psychic ability. Yes. Uh -huh. Would that include things like uh, telekinesis or... Um, Yes. It does, okay. Or psychokinesis, those types of things? Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, telepathy, telepathy mm -hmm. uh, clair, uh, clairsentience, um, mediumship, all that good stuff. They don't do astrology. Okay. They don't study that. Um, and, you know, it's like if you see ghost hunting and stuff, that's yep. not parapsychologists normally. Right. There's, there's like two guys who do that. <laughs> what do you... Um as you started to get this blowback from people, were they, was, were there people, I mean, there are certain topics you start to bring up when, if someone disagrees with you, and I know flat earth theory is one of those topics. There are several that are on this kind of hit list of, uh, it just makes people's blood boil. If you take this, the position opposite theirs, were you getting that kind of response? Were people angry about this and becoming argumentative and uh, confrontational about these ideas? Yes, absolutely. And that's, what's, that's the really interesting part about it, because it's a key to the fact that, you know, when, when you see skeptics argue about the science, which I see all the time, mm -hmm. they're, they're operating in this completely emotional space, which is really fascinating. If you've ever argued with somebody on a topic, you know, there's, of course, the conservative versus liberal bit, right. where, where you're going to get people that simply don't listen. And whatever you say just goes straight past them, and they're, gonna, they're going to stick in their beliefs no matter what. And that's, that's an average response from skeptics for parapsychology. They, they really operate on that emotional level. Um, I don't know, you remember uh, the, the whole 
controversy with Colin Kaepernick kneeling for the national Oh, of course anthem. I do. Yeah, I absolutely do. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So do you remember how the conservatives, no matter what you said, it was like they're disres- he's disrespecting the military, he's disrespecting the flag, and it, was, it wasn't about that at all, but no matter what you said, they never heard that. Mm-hmm. This Parapsychology skeptics operate on the same frequency as that, and that you can't tell them anything. I don't know if this is a similar anecdote, uh, but I know that from my background in, in ghost hunting, which I've done a lot of uh, being involved with the television show Ghost Hunters and other paranormal uh, efforts, uh, one of the things I always thought, thought very comical and, and somewhat amusing is when someone would come up to me and say, oh, you're, you do that ghost hunting thing. You're, 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 you believe in that? I don't believe in that garbage. But you know what? When I was 10 years old, my grandfather appeared at the end of my bed and, and, and talked to me you know, for an hour. They still have a story, but yet they won't believe it. They won't believe what they actually witnessed themselves. It's kind of like that. Yes. Yeah, that's it. They'll, um, it's, a, it, it's no longer about skepticism as we understand it. It's, uh, it's, they're usually referred to as deniers or scoffers. Yeah. yeah. They, um, they simply can't, um, they can't this, this stuff just doesn't register. So, you know, you can, you can point them right at the research, and you can hand them the very best explanation possible, and they can't see it. I had a discussion like that today with somebody. It, it was just amazing to watch. We were reading the same paragraph, and no matter how many times I, ref- I told him that, uh, no matter how many times I pointed it out to him, he couldn't see that his description of it didn't match what was written. And we, 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 went, through, we went through this over and over and over again. He just couldn't see it. Mm-hmm. It, was, it. It can be truly bizarre. Yeah, I mean, we, we talk about people wearing blinders, and that's probably an example. We're going to get into some of the, some of the characteristics of people that, that take these positions and uh, what, what, what they have in common and, and, and more detail about that. But before we do, let's talk a little bit about um, the, the controversy between Rupert uh, Sheldrake and TED Talks. What, tell me what that's about. Oh, um, well, that's the subject of my book, mm-hmm. and it was uh, quite fascinating because most of the time when you have a parapsychology uh, controversy. These things happen behind closed doors. You don't get to see all of the discussion and, and, and all the sides of it and how things played out. And with TED Talks, what they did was they took a talk by Rupert Sheldrake. He's a parapsychologist. He's done uh, studies on animal telepathy. He's very well known. He's written several books. And they decided that his, um, his talk was pseudoscience. They just, they just made that declaration. They just so decided they just, that's what it was. They just decided it, exactly. Mm. TED, it turns out, is kind of a skeptical organization. Um, it, uh, Ted Anderson, the guy who, uh, who owns it, um, is in with the skeptic community, and so he listens to them. And they were kicking up a fuss, and he responded to that. So... Uh, because TED is a high-profile organization, a couple things happened. First of all, they were very open about their process, and so they opened it up to online commenting, which you can see to this day if you know where to look. And the second thing was is they attracted a lot of great minds to the discussion. And so you were, you'd be going through this comment session going, oh, my God, that guy's a Nobel Prize winner. And 
and, and it was uh, very interesting to see how this played out in terms of the, the people that were involved in the discussion. And as this thing wore on, it became clear that, there, this, that the arguments that Ted put together against these uh, talks, to call them pseudoscience, there was, there was Graham Hancock, too, but for the purposes of this, of this I'm going to concentrate on Sheldrake. So they put up some arguments about why these were pseudoscience, and the two, uh, Graham Hancock and Rupert Sheldrake, both completely destroyed those arguments. So then they went back to try and get see if they could come up with new arguments that were better, and they couldn't. So eventually they just said, well, we win, goodbye, and left the talks offline. And um, the, the fascinating part about it was that this played out over about a month and a half, mm -hmm. and everybody got to weigh in, and it got to be uh, a really uh, big deal online. It didn't quite make it to the mainstream media, but... Uh, uh, it certainly attracted a lot of attention from, from many corners. And then, as all this was playing out, they took another TEDx event um, in Los Angeles and canceled it at the very last minute, creating yet another uproar. So they kept doing all this skeptical stuff and, and generating all this, um, all this uh, Sturm und Drang. Mm. And the, uh, the end result of it, of course, was that Rupert Sheldrake became way more famous than he's ever been before. <laughs> and a video that had maybe 35,000 views rocketed to 5 million. Oh, wow. I know. And uh, so that everybody saw it. And Ted was kind of exposed as being sort of closed-minded. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I don't, I don't understand why forums like that, and, and I'm going to get into a little bit more... Uh, of this in just a minute, but why forums like that feel the need to editorialize? Why, why not just let people listen, view and consider and make up their own minds and come to their own conclusions? Why do they feel the need to label it as something so that, you know, so that someone doesn't have actually think on their own about it? Well, we're getting into the skeptic mindset here. Um, uh, and what's, what's driving these people. Um, I did mention that it, you know, that you know, that's very similar to conservatives. Um, as a matter of fact, it's very, very close to what ange uh, evangelical Christians do too, and that is developing a fundamentalist kind of mindset. And you can, you, and this is really done by people who have an authoritarian personality. So when you see this stuff going on, what you're looking at is an authoritarian personality in action. They, uh, people that are very inflexible, they have a, a very difficult, they don't trust their own intuition. They have, um, they have trouble adapting and changing to things and, uh, new things tend to feel threatening to them. Uh, one of the things that, uh, Ted Anderson said was that, uh, when, when somebody questioned him directly was that, well, he's not going to accept parapsychology until it's completely accepted by the rest of science. Now, that's, that's a very fearful position. Yeah, it is. Um, and it's indicative of, of where the skeptics are coming from. You know, they're, they're very, very dialed in on, on making you believe them. And so they do all the things to, to reinforce the belief that you would expect. And um, there's a whole lot to it. Uh, it's, they, they have developed organizations and you know, all that sort of stuff. 
things that we'll be going, you know, we'll be talking about. Yeah, yeah, we'll get into that. I also want to bring up the fact that this isn't limited to individuals, although ultimately I think individuals are involved in making these decisions. But I know YouTube specifically, and probably just saying that has has it will cause one of my videos to be shadow banned. But um, you know, they get into the business of determining what is legitimate and what isn't. And again, I'll bring up the example of flat Earth theory. I don't believe in. I don't believe that. I'm not. I'm not a subscriber to that idea. However, we have people on the program that are. I love hearing their rationale for it. I love to hear what their evidence is for it. I find that fascinating. And I think everybody should be open-minded enough at least to listen. But YouTube will, in fact, as a creator on YouTube, I got an email at one point saying um, these particular topics, these quote-unquote fringe topics are now going to be uh, either delisted or relegated to the end of search criteria or what, however they do it. And they were specifically mentioning things like flat earth or UFOs or Bigfoot. I mean, a lot of the topics we talk about on here. And I'm not sure I understand why YouTube thinks it's their job to filter it for people. Um, they get that from Wikipedia. Um, Google owns... Um Google doesn't own Wikipedia, but they, they, they donated a lot of money to that, and they use Wikipedia as part of their search engine. Okay. Um, they, uh, Wikipedia, Wikipedia is useful for Google. They, 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 they bring Wikipedia to the top of search results for everything because uh, Wikipedia is neutral and it doesn't have ads and it's not, it's not business-oriented. Right. right. So by pushing, by pushing Wikipedia to the top of the search results, they force everybody else to buy ads. Uh-huh. You see how that works? I, yeah, it's always something to do with money, isn't it? It's always something to do with money. So then on Wikipedia, they're, they're, they're kind of captured by these uh, skeptics. And so these skeptics are busy, you know, putting out all this misinformation about all these paranormal topics, which is repeated on Wikipedia, which shows up on Alexa, which, go, which, which shows up everywhere, um, garbage in, garbage out. And so you have Google listening to Wikipedia, who, which is, uh, you know, you got which is run by anonymous editors working out of their mother's basement. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, um, and so the entire world is getting fed all of this BS, and um, not only that, but kind of adopting this uh, authoritarian mindset of. We can't possibly listen to or hear anything that we disagree with. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the most dangerous position of, of all. And I think that, um, um, and, and you've mentioned conservatives a few times, but I'm going to uh, go out on the limb here too and say it's, it seems to be all political sides are uh, engaged in that behavior. If you've spent any time on Facebook and you have an opinion and you express it, the side that disagrees with you is all over you. Like, uh, you know, they, they take the gloves off and, and they, they uh, ravage you um, verbally and in other ways. And uh, I think that's just a toxic environment to have any kind of ideas or conversation. I agree completely. I, I've even seen this in the psychic community of people taking an authoritarian stance. And um, it looks really weird uh, when they do it uh, because you have these people are supposedly all accepting and whatnot, and then right. you, get these, you get this like really rigid mindset going. Um, but they're the followers, they, the, the people that follow the gurus and stuff. Yeah. Um, so it's just it's, it's fascinating, and, and 
you know, it just it just cuts off all discussion once you once you get these people in there because they're angry and they're pushing their point of view and they won't listen to anybody. Yeah, and it's not even just. I mean, stand up for what you believe in. I'm I'm perfectly good with that. But but uh, don't start calling me names because I disagree with you. That's where that's where it starts to fall apart for me. A uh, good debate, I think, is very very healthy. We're talking tonight with Craig Weiler. He is a parapsychology journalist. He's written a book called Psy Wars. By the way, Psy it's P S I Psy Wars. TED, Wikipedia, and the battle for the internet. Um, Craig, is there a battle for the internet? And if so, is the internet the what we would consider to be the conduit of our ideas and maybe even our culture at this point? Uh, it influences the culture. Um, with, with stuff like psychic ability, you are never going to convince the public uh, that it doesn't exist, ever. Too many people have their own experiences, uh, and, they're, and too many people are reasonable-minded. So you're just you're just not going to you're not going to convince them that that this is um, you know that this is not real, but you can have this official version that it's not real. You know what I mean? It sort of plays out over the internet, and everybody just kind of pretends that um, you know that there is no evidence, and that the you know whatever studies were done were all crap and all that kind of thing. And parapsychologists are a bunch of idiots. All this. All these stories play out over and over again on the internet. Mm-hmm. You hear them, and um, it's kind of sort of accepted. But then, you know, people in their lives they don't really believe that. So, if if that's the quote unquote official version, um, it's the official version from whom? The skeptics. So the skeptics are running. The skeptics are pulling these strings. The skeptics are writing this narrative. Yes, they are. Um, they, they, uh, that, that particular, um, narrative comes from, uh, Wikipedia and from several, uh, skeptic organizations that have the ear of the media. Uh, it comes from skeptical science editors, uh, who, who never really look into this stuff. And together this sort of forms this amorphous blob out there Mm -hmm. that's constantly reinforcing a skeptical viewpoint. One of the things that often comes up whenever skeptics are discussed or the idea of being a skeptic is discussed or even the idea of, you know, can you demonstrate for me that there's a real psychic out there? And if so, why haven't they responded to the Randy challenge? Now, of course, I'm talking about James Randy, who is a uh, well-known skeptic. And I don't know how many years ago it was. Was it like 10 years Go twenty years. I don't even know how many years ago he issued a challenge. Anybody who could, um, uh, in some way, um, fulfill a, a number of steps in a, in a what would be considered a bit of a test would win a million dollars. And no one has ever been able to claim that prize. What were the flaws in the Randy challenge? And let's talk about that a little bit. Oh, thanks. That's an interesting story because it's uh, the Randy's challenge was basically a, a, a media story for to. For gullible skeptics, it it no psychics really didn't take this thing seriously right. even even bef- even pre-internet. So the the, the challenge started um, I don't know twelve thirteen years ago ran for about ten years and then finally Randy retired and uh, closed down the challenge. And no nobody ever passed the challenge. But the problem with it was that there was absolutely nothing scientific about it, yeah. and the thing was uh, kind of rigged. You see, with psychic ability, not many people know much about it. And 
one of the th- ways you can play with uh, an experiment, if you, if you want to screw people up, is effect sizes. How big of an effect size should somebody demonstrate to prove that they have psychic ability? So to use an example of basketball, let's say that we want to demonstrate, we want somebody to demonstrate that they can shoot baskets. So for this challenge, we're going to put them at half court, and they have to shoot three baskets in a row to prove that they can shoot baskets. (laughs) Now, if you don't know anything about basketball, and all you do is you read about this stuff, you don't know how difficult that challenge is. In actuality, uh, shooting one basket from half court is about one in a hundred. So shooting three in a row would be one in a million. Mm-hmm. Really, that's a very, very stiff challenge. That's right. So let's now, now if we're if we're Randy and we're we're not quite settled, we want to make sure they fail. Let's have them do it with a bunch of booing people in the background, <laughs> and let's rush them. Right. Uh, and let's make them, you know, let's make their lives miserable, give them time limits, everything it takes to, so that they never settle in and never get into the flow, never have any rhythm. And you will guarantee fail everybody that way on the first try. That's kind of how the challenge went. Yeah, I've, uh, I've talked to some, some psychics on the program and asked them, have you ever considered doing this, ever uh, you know, look at it? And everyone essentially said the same thing, that the whole thing was rigged from start to finish. If, if You'd be a fool to actually uh, try to take up James Randi on that challenge. The, um, so I looked into a few people who tried, mm-hmm. who actually um, went into it. One was a fellow named Pavel Zibarov. Um, he came up with a relatively simple challenge uh, of trying to discern whether there's a white or a black piece of paper in an envelope. And so the challenge that he set up with a couple of pe- with uh, people from the Randy organization, volunteers, uh, was a hundred envelopes. So it would be very easy to see if if he got over fifty percent, right? Mm-hmm. So fifty percent was chance. So he had to beat chance by a certain amount, and then. You know, it would be okay. And uh, so Randy, Randy put the gibosh on that one and then turned around and, and said, well, no, you're only going to do 10 of these. And when they worked it out, it was like he'd have to get 80% right to, to meet uh, the criteria. So something, you know, nobody, was, nobody could do. Right. Um, and so he backed out, and they declared him a loser. He failed the challenge because he decided that the challenge wasn't um, – wasn't acceptable. And then you had another person. You had Patricia Putt. She was. Uh, she actually took the challenge. She was a, a medium in England, and uh, they sent up a couple of uh, skeptical uh, actual uh, professors to do her challenge. And um, if you know anything about mediumship, they had her do ten challenges in a row. They had her do ten readings in a row. Think about that. And they and she had to write them down. Yeah. Something so so this is something she never did. Right. Nobody writes that. Nobody writes them down. They talk them, and they also get a little bit of feedback from people along the way, kind of you know, kind of reinforce sure. the direction. Yeah. Yeah. All the normal things of mediumship. Nope. Not only that, but they blacked out parts of the uh, of what she wrote because it might be personal, and they were going, and so surprise, surprise, she failed completely. Didn't get any of them. 
It's like, good Lord. Yeah, yeah. They, I, they, they did everything wrong. So what what was James Randi's objective there? I mean, other than just, I don't know, I mean, promoting himself in, in a way, um, why was he so adverse to uh, offering, even if it isn't this million-dollar challenge, but just an opportunity for someone who might have some abilities to actually prove themselves instead of setting it up and rigging it against them? Um, Randy figured out early that playing the skeptic was very profitable uh-huh. and that this drove his career. He began with skepticism of Yuri Geller, yep. and it not only launched his, his career, but it launched Yuri Geller's. So being the skeptic was, um, was something that, that gave him the life that he wanted. Um, and, and he just, and once, once he realized that, that there were all these skeptics out there that would, they would join his organization, they would pay the yearly fees, um, and all that sort of thing, that he, he, he had a cash cow by making himself into the, um, the great skeptic and having all of these followers, uh, he managed to make a great living off of that. It's actually pretty clever. Yeah. And of course, the challenge made headlines for years and uh, was a real point of, um, of uh, public relations for him, even though it wasn't necessarily legitimate. Yeah. I mean, all he had to do was make sure nobody passed yeah, That's right. That's right. And, and keep it open for as long as he could. And that was a relatively simple thing for him because nobody was looking too closely until the Internet. Once the Internet hit, everything started to change. Mm-hmm. Because then his critics got online. They, their search results started showing, showing up next to his. Um, he started having to answer more and more questions about the challenge because his, his detractors finally had a voice. Uh, and the challenge just went downhill from there. Because uh, after, I think by 2010, 2000, uh, I'm going to say 2015 or so, you could get online and... Any psychic could do a five-minute search and realize that this was all bullshit. Yeah, Craig, as we start talking about skeptics, you talk about in the book a skeptical subculture. What are we talking about here when we talk about a skeptical subculture? Um, well, skeptics have uh, organizations. There's uh, the Committee for Scientific Investigation uh, and several others. Uh, they're they're basically devoted to skepticism. Uh, they're and then they have local things like skeptics in the pub and all that sort of thing. Uh, so it's, a, it's totally a thing, skepticism. And um, they, uh, they're an offshoot of atheism. So if you run into a skeptic, that's an atheist. Part, it's really important to understand that part of it, that, that skeptic equals atheist equals skeptic. The, the, two, are, um, the two are inseparable which is where you get the, the skeptics oftentimes talking about um, religion uh, very dero- in a very derogatory manner. So what's, what's the difference, just for some clarification here, what's the difference between somebody who uh, says, um, yeah, I, you know, I don't believe in, in psychics. They, I've never seen one that's impressed me. I don't believe in them. They can just, it's just, they're just reading people's faces and body language, et cetera, et cetera. But not everyone who says that is 
doesn't believe in God. Not even not everyone that says that doesn't necessarily believe in ghosts or UFOs or some other phenomena that others might have equal a diff, a time a difficult time believing in. So, is, are we talking about a person that's different than that? Um. Yeah, actually, the the subculture is um, it's far more fundamentalist in nature. I mean, you know, we know people that are just kind of sort of skeptical of stuff. Sure. But they don't join an organization. Uh, they don't get online and harass people about it. So they don't become um, an activist skeptic or something, I right. guess, right? Yeah. They're, they're frequently referred to as the new atheists. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was some research in... This is really interesting. There was some research in Tennessee... Um, and you can find it online. It's Non-Belief in America Research. Um, they have a website. Uh, on athe- you can just type in atheism research in Google. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the categories of atheism is anti-theist. So there's all these different types, but about 15% of atheists are anti-theists. Okay. So these are the people that are aggressively anti-religion, Right. So picture a subset of that group, and that's skeptics. So, so they're already kind of anti-religious, and then they're, um, they're, they're very focused on uh, a very narrow idea of science on top of that. Um, and, and that's the skeptic community. They're, um, they're, that, that's why I tend to compare them to uh, evangelicals, of course, because you'll have uh, all different types of evangelicals. Some of them are actually really reasonable people, but then you get the other ones that are like super dialed in and, oh, my God, you know, Bible-thumping and, and nothing else, right? Mm. So in the skeptic equivalent of that is the anti-theist. This small subset of, skepti- this small subset of atheism that is very activist um, and very fundamentalist in their thinking. Uh, and these, uh, like with like with uh, conservatives and everybody else, where we run into these um, fundamentalist type personalities, they're very aggressive about spreading their particular version of the world. It just so happens that skeptics are the ones that society chooses to believe as a group. What? what? When it comes to these skeptics, are they skeptical of everything, is, is or only? Uh, I mean, we started talking about uh, being skeptical of psychics and specifically, but are they skeptical of anything that might be considered a paranormal uh, topic or genre? Uh, how deep does it go? If you go on Wikipedia and you look up pseudoscience, mm-hmm. you can see their complete list. Okay. It's it's huge, really. I mean, it's huge. So basically, we're talking about everything from Bigfoot to acupuncture to uh, naturopathy. I mean, they're actual naturopathy doctors, right? But no, no, that's pseudoscience. Um, uh, any kind of psychic healing, Reiki, also, um, and God, it's it's exhausting just looking at this list of so many things that, that you have to be against to be a, a, a skeptic. And the one that really boggles my mind, this one just just really, it's like, what are they thinking? Chiropractors. <laughs> Ch- 
chiropractors. It's like there's a chiropractor on every corner. Yeah, right. People are totally acceptable. I mean, they're, they're, it's a completely um, ordinary field of, of medicine. And, you know, as a matter of fact, I go to a chiropractor on a regular basis. I consider it good preventative care. And these people, to listen to them, you'd think they were the incarnation of evil. I mean, good God. What drives these people, Craig? Why are they so invested in their skepticism? Uh, well, if I, if I had to put this in one word, it would be fear. Um, there's, there's something weird to them about uh, all this sort of stuff. See, a lot of, these, a, a lot of um, things that these topics have in common is that they approach uh, things on a holistic level. So when you talk about chiropractic care and you talk about um, psychic ability and all this other stuff, naturopathy, they're treating systems. They're treating the whole. They're looking at the whole. And this is something that skeptics absolutely can't wrap their minds around. They, uh, they tend to be very, very reductionist in their thinking, which, which puts them in kind of a, a loop. Because uh, without holistic thinking, you can't ever get the big view to get yourself out of your loop. So they're, they're kind of stuck there with this uh, very narrow uh, set of thinking tools that don't allow them to handle anything that, that is so complex that you can't just take, take it down to the little parts. And so they have no way of understanding uh, all of these topics, and their response to them is to declare them uh, idiotic. Yet they consider themselves to be the more scientific of, of us. Yeah. I, I mean, a lot of them have advanced degrees. Uh, they do well on testing and that sort of thing. Um, but they generally don't handle holistic tasks well. You never want an authoritarian as a boss, ever. That's like the worst ever. You know, the, 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 the petty, small-minded guy that uh, beats up on the subordinates and yeah. sucks up to the, um, to the superiors. Yeah. Um, that's, that's, that, that's kind of in the same vein as, as skeptics, you know, and, they, and you can't tell them anything because, you know, anything that's a system that requires wider thought, they can't wrap their head around. So to them, it just doesn't exist. What other traits do they have in common? Uh, apart from being all being skeptics, are, are there their personality traits, or maybe even um, demographic or geographic uh, commonalities between people that make up this group? Um, yeah, there are. There are some other um, characteristics that you see there. One of them is is that they're overwhelmingly male, uh, and they tend towards the younger side, uh, and. You'll find some females in there, um, and when I say male, I mean white male. Um, they're they're predominantly white male and on the younger side, uh, with a few white females thrown in. And you know they have people from other cultures somewhat, um, but that's the basic thing. They tend to be educated, um, and uh, a lot you know, like I said, a lot of them have advanced degrees where apparently they got indoctrinated. Um, into an atheist mindset and just locked into it because their mind couldn't quite move past that. Mm -hmm. uh, they typically come from overbearing religious backgrounds, uh, and um, they rejected the religion 
in favor of what they viewed to be a more scientific view of the world. So that's where you get this angry anti-theist thing coming from. Mm-hmm. And uh, they, what they do is they take the fundamentalist mindset of their overbearing religious parents and they transfer that to science. Makes sense if you think about it. Yeah. So in a way, there's a, there's a bit of a rebellion involved there. Um, and then there's also a um, almost a revenge or a, uh, some type of turning of the tables, but uh, just using a different mechanism. Yeah, yeah. They, um, they, 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 they think they're, um, that they're applying science, and, and science is acceptable, and science is um, objective. So they think they're being rational and reasonable. Uh, and this allows them to lord over and bully other people. Let's talk about the science of psychics or parapsychology right now. Now, the skeptic would say this is all hooey, and uh, there's no scientific evidence to support that any of this is legitimate. Uh, clearly, you don't believe that, and clearly most people, well, not most, but at least most people we have in this program don't believe that. Uh, let's talk about some of the things that the skeptics will completely ignore in su- that would support the idea that the skeptic is wrong. Okay, so let's. Um, that's an excellent uh, thing to do here. So let's let's start with um, the basis for conducting the research in the first place. So according to polls, roughly half the world has had some sort of psychic experience. So, so this is like 3.5 billion people, um, sort of in. Um, <clears throat> more or less. Right. So, stories of psychics can be found in every culture dating back as far in history as you can go. And if you're looking on the Internet, you can find thousands upon thousands of stories of psychic experiences and stories of how psychics have come up with information. There are working psychics all over the world, with a few contributing to some areas such as police work or even archaeology. There is scientific literature dating back almost 150 years of investigative reports. And if you go back to the 1950s, that's when the lab experiments started, which also confirmed the existence of psychic ability. And in the present day, we have the Gansfeld telepathy experiments with thousands of replications conducted by over 50 different researchers. There are six meta-analyses, intense scrutiny, and you still end up with results that show the existence of telepathy We have replicated studies on the effects of being stared at, replicated studies on psychokinesis, on mediumship, replicated studies on precognition. We have that 20-year-long remote viewing program conducted by the U.S. government known as Stargate. Uh, There are dowsers that make a good living. There's a massive amount of evidence for reincarnation and a decent amount of evidence for out-of-body experiences. And then there are... There are less replicated experiments, like autistic children demonstrating near-perfect telepathy. There are experiments with lab mice that demonstrate uh, complete healing from a terminal cancer with an 85% success rate. Uh, and then there's, uh, there's like two or three meta-analysis of Reiki studies. I could go on. I mean, the, science, the body of scientific evidence uh, is not trivial. There's a lot of it. And, there, and all of that evidence comes, uh, comes about because there are all these stories from all these cultures of psychic ability. So we have something out in the population that's worth looking at, 
and then we have all these studies confirming that, yes, this is real, right? So with all of this, science is getting predictable results from experiments for, for psychic ability. In other words, with all these people out there having these psychic, exper psychic experiences, you would expect the experiences are, oh, God, I just got myself <laughs> all tied up. Let me try again. Okay. <laughs> um, with all of these uh, experiences out there in the world, science would expect positive results from experiments, and that's exactly what they get. So, so a good chunk of the scientific community won't even consider this to be legitimate. What is their excuse? Are they just part of the skeptic community? Uh, you would, your scientists are supposed to be open-minded. Um, well, I, you know, now we're getting into me just sort of theorizing. Yeah. And I'll be honest about that. But uh, it's been my experience that academia um, looks a lot like a... Um, kind of a fundamentalist um, authoritarian structure in the way uh, in the way academia is set up yeah in, in other words they uh, they exploit the young uh, they set up a tremendous number of, of roadblocks to new research and they um, they push the status quo and you see it, and it's very very hard for anybody to get around this in academia so it's already set up to be a very um, a very difficult and hidebound system. And parapsychology um, has always been the uh, poor stepchild of, of, of academia. And with this kind of hidebound structure to start with, it's very easy for skeptics to simply shut out uh, parapsychology because the mechanism is already there. You follow? Yeah, I do. I do. Um, okay. I mean, that's been the frustrating part of anybody who's been in this field for any length of time is that, uh, you know, you're, you're immediately dismissed by what we would consider to be the mainstream sci scientific community. Yet you just cited, uh, uh, you know, maybe probably close to a hundred uh, different reasons why that shouldn't be the case, yet it still continues. It's, it's amazing, isn't it? Um, uh, and uh, you know, I'm very well versed in um, in parapsychology for for a layman. I know a whole lot of stuff. And in almost every case, when I begin a conversation with a skeptic, within a minute, I know that they don't know anything. <laughs> and and then we get to the to how they're do how they're working with the information, because the the first thing I notice after that is that they don't respect anything I say, nothing. And so, and not, not only do they not respect me, but they don't respect any of those sources. So you have a situation where they have granted skeptics 100% credibility and zero credibility to anybody else. So there's no possible avenue to convincing them that skeptics are wrong because they've already granted the skeptics that 100%. And there's just, there's no way around that. You just have to um, you just have to look at that and let your jaw drop and you know use your hand to push it back up again. It's really ridiculous. When you're having 
Go ahead. Go I'm sorry. Ahead. I'm just saying when you're having a conversation with a skeptic like that, I mean, this is probably one of the ways you know that they're immediately biased because they won't even accept uh, a fact that you present to them or they won't accept a, so- a reputable source that may disagree with them. Um, are there other ways that they demonstrate their bias? Um, that, <clears throat> well, first of all, that one there pretty much shuts everything down. Right. The other the other one, of course, is that uh, two seconds later, they'll bring up the James Randi Educational Foundation Million Dollar sure. Paranormal Challenge. That's right. Because, and, and now they've demonstrated that not only do they not know anything uh, about parapsychology at all, but they're practically science illiterate. Because, you know, the challenge, there's, there's no peer review, there's no documentation, there's no, um, uh, there's no arbitration, nothing. I mean, any, all of the mechanisms of science are gone. There's nothing there with the challenge. If you look at this thing even slightly, you can, you can pick out the fact that it's completely insignificant, not to mention the fact that it doesn't prove anything, right? Because if, a, if you have a psychic take the challenge and they fail, it doesn't mean that they're not psychic. It means that they just failed. Yeah. Uh, so this person has no, um, no real logical or rational ability when it comes to this subject. And I would assume they're normally relatively smart people, so this means that they're really deeply in fear. With the introduction of some very, very successful uh, reality programming, uh, um, paranormal reality programs specifically, you know, we've seen a lot of programs that have been related to ghost hunters. We've seen uh, some of those programs include psychics. We've seen specifically psychic-centric television programs as well. Uh, that are reality shows that have done quite quite well uh, with the public. Is that starting to change some of the public opinion? Um, hard, to, hard to say. Uh, you have the problem of, of, of having people watch this stuff who already agree with it. Right, um, right. So, it, you know, somebody coming and look at, looking at it, if they're even slightly skeptical, they're going to go, oh, it's all fake because it's on TV. Right? Yeah. And there's, there's nothing you're going to do to change their mind about that. Uh, most of the time when people do change their minds, it takes a personal experience that they, they can't shake off. Um, that's usually when you see a skeptic become something else. It's rare that you see a skeptic go, oh, look, there's all this evidence. I think I'll study the evidence. <laughs> right. And then from the evidence, get convinced. That almost never happens. Is it is it true to say, or is it fair to consider the fact that maybe these paranormal reality television programs have made it, even though they're kind of preaching to the choir, if you will, it has emboldened the choir to actually have some of these conversations in public and maybe even defend their positions a little more vigorously than they may have otherwise? Um, that's something that I would hope for. Um, when I've been online, uh, and, and looking at how the general public perceives this stuff, most people know almost nothing about the successes in parapsychology because, of course, Wikipedia, right? Yeah. They, you know, they're, they're, they're reading all the time that it's, a, um, that it's a pseudoscience, and when you get online, there's all these people saying, oh, there's no evidence, yada, yada, yada. And so that's what even people who are believers absorb. Um, the actual truth uh, has to fight a lot of noise to get through to them. And so they end up not, not knowing that there is some science there to, to back them up. 
um, that there's, you know, there are there's studies on mediumship, for example, uh, that are quite they're triple blind. They're incredibly clever studies um, that that demonstrate the existence of, of uh, mediumship. That uh, triple blinded is that's that's yeah. really amazing stuff. Yeah. Um, the uh, the person who who um, who came up with the studies got her degree in experimental design, um, and it's when you're doing mediums, it's just really, really difficult because you have bias from the you the um, the medium is fairly easy. You just they they talk to somebody on a phone. They talk to somebody who relays the information on the phone, and then they never have contact with the actual person, right? So they can't even hear their voice. Yeah. So it's fairly easy to control the medium, but but you still have problems with potential bias from the sitter because if they're skeptic or if they're a believer, they're going to grade the answers differently, and you have to find out beforehand what when they're grading this, which direction they're going. Um, and uh, this study design accounts for that. Really clever stuff. Yeah. Why'd you decide to write the book, Craig? Um, well, the, uh, when, the, when the controversy came up, um, I was one of the first people that, uh, to notice that this was something big, and I started blogging on it. Uh, and then not just blogging on it, but I was, I was uh, starting to connect with other people in the parapsychology community, including the scientists, um, and, starting, and, and this sort of spread out in a wave. Um, and I recognized that it was something important. Uh, and in particular, since the thing went on for like a month and a half and there were all these different stages of it, it made a good story. And it was a really excellent way to, to tell the story of skeptics and parapsychology through the lens of this um, controversy happening at TED. So I'd have these chapters explaining uh, the drama happening at TED and then in between I'd be explaining about the background situation, what the science is, and, and who the skeptics are, and what they're doing, and how this whole thing just intertwined to create this situation. And it, basically, I had a whole bunch of uh, research on the shelf, mm-hmm. and this just provided the perfect venue for it, and something that would be readable. Because if you're just talking science, um, it's, it, 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 it can bore people to tears. Um, when you when you were starting to to put this into a book form, um, you saw you, you're obviously very very passionate about the topic. Did you start to uh, maybe see some of the other side? Do you, at any point did you could you look at some of these skeptic positions and say, okay, I understand why they might have that position? Um, you know, I I did that for the longest time when I was first studying parapsychology mm-hmm. is, you know, it's a process everybody has to go through, is you have to give the skeptics their due, and you have to pay attention to all the arguments, and you have to follow them down that rabbit hole and see whether they're actually legitimate. By the time um, I was writing the book, I'd already, um, I'd already had several years of this, and it's... Um, and, and there's a pattern there with the skepticism. It's like, no, this is bad research. No, this is bad research. No, this is bad research. And this is coming up every single time, no matter what anybody does. Yeah. 
they have a reason not to accept it. And you see this over and over and over and over and over and over again. And finally, uh, I just got to the point where it's like, these guys are just full of it. I just like, why, why am I, why am I even bothering? Yeah. You know, for, for the book, I had to do a deep dive um, into the skepticism around um, several different areas where um, some of them I mentioned where where they have replicated experiments, um, and you know, you just kind of look at that and go, "Are you are you kidding me?" They the skeptics go for very little details and ne- and never quite get the big picture. And that's that's typical of of all of their um, scientific um, scientific arguments against psychic ability. So when we're getting to the peer-reviewed gold standard of of criticism, they're doing the same stuff that your average skeptic does. It's it's all the same. It's all the same crowd. They're just using fancier words and more paper. In all your time exploring this, researching this, writing about it, discussing it, have you ever ever had an opportunity to engage one of these skeptics and actually maybe not get them to change their mind completely, but maybe to open their mind? Yes, I have. Um, it's about I, it's about one in thirty. Um, I've talked to a lot of skeptics, um, and every once in a great while, somebody is actually open, and, and and this comes out really quickly in a conversation. They don't like argue and argue and argue with me, and then and then have their minds convinced, but rather after uh, a back and forth uh, dialogue. Uh, you know, maybe two or three replies or whatever. They're like, "Hey, could you send me some some information on this? I'm I'm curious, and you seem to know what you're saying." Hmm. That's a that's a step. That's a major step. Yeah, it's a it's a big step. Yeah, and it, it indicates that I'm not dealing with um with <clears throat> with with this like fundamentalist mindset that they you know I've, I've encountered a skeptic, but an actually open person. They're out there. There's just um, it's just really hard to get to them through all of the people that are willing to tell you what an idiot you are. Yeah. So if we look at this and, and use this as a bit of a uh, maybe a learning experience to help us understand how to deal with people who might be confrontational and skeptical for in other areas, whether it's politically or something else. I mean, we all encounter this type of thinking, regardless of what we do. Can we use this information and this experience and apply it to other areas? Um, yeah, I think the best thing, um, my experience is, is that if you want to lead a happy life, don't engage them. Mm, yeah. Uh, it just, you're, you're going down a path that's nothing but anger and, um, you'll find yourself getting sucked into yep. the same angry mindset as they do. I, I kind of, I still do this sort of as an experiment. I have a different mindset, but, uh, you know, most of the time, if you're arguing with these people, you're getting into the same irritated frame of mind that they are, um, and it's just not worth it. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a lesson I've learned on social media. I used to engage people and try to have a, a, a nice intellectual discussion about something we may disagree on, and it, it inevitably becomes just name-calling and insults. And I realized that in order to stay sane myself, I just had to avoid these conversations because there was no nothing productive going to come out of them. Not a complete time sinks. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and they and they they suck and consume so much emotion and emotional capital out of 
At least they did for me personally, and it's just not worth it. It's not worth giving anybody who's just going to do that uh, that that part of you. So it's not worth it. Yeah, well, you pick up this vibe of winning and losing instead of learning. Yeah, that's right. It's a great way. Um, and so, and so, if you get sucked into the mindset of winning the argument, then you get into the same headspace as they do, and 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 it's really hard to to even listen to them at that point. Craig, the book is called Psy Wars, Ted, Wikipedia, and the Battle for the Internet. Who should buy this book? Uh, the people who have been buying it so far, the ones that are interested in parapsychology, that have been uh, getting a little bit more serious about it, because this, what this book does is it helps you understand the social situation you're jumping into. Um, I've had a couple of professors uh, of parapsychology they were actually the ones that got me to do the second edition uh, because it's, they find it that it's a useful book for their students and so that they know when they get out into the world and do parapsychology, they're not naive about what they're running into um, because this really does, it lays out the fact that, you know, they're getting into this social construct that will fight them every step of the way. Yeah. So, you know, you have to be ready for that. Yep. Where can people buy the book? Yeah. Oh, uh, Amazon online. Amazon is the easiest place it usually is anymore. Um, anything else in the works for you? You working on a follow-up? Uh, I do not have a follow-up for that book. I've pretty much said everything that uh, I, I think I could on that particular subject. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm working, uh, you know, this, this is really, really off topic, but uh, I'm working on a, uh, a novel. Oh wow! Um, yeah, about a uh, a potential civil war in the United States. I have had a hell of a time trying to stay ahead of events. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it it might be kind of writing itself for you here. You just got to take notes. Wow, I you know I never thought I never thought I'd be thinking that, but um, things are we're living in some very strange and very difficult times for sure. Uh, any anticipated date uh, that book that book might be finished and released? Uh. I really don't know. This it's is too one early. of those whenever I have time things. Sure. Well, yeah. I, I appreciate your work on uh, this particular topic, the skeptics, particularly as it, as it relates to psychics and uh, parapsychology. It's really good work. And I have to just, uh, and I'm not sure you're familiar with a woman named uh, Caroline Corey. Does that name ring a bell at all? No, I'm sorry, it doesn't. She's a filmmaker, and I had her on the program a couple of weeks ago, and she's just finished and released a documentary called Superhuman. And for the first time when I watched this documentary before having her on the program, uh, I saw somebody actually take these uh, some experiments, some real science as it relates to psychic phenomena and um, and and demonstrate in a in a really classy way how um, some of this phenomena actually works and how the science can prove it works. So hearing you talk about this as well reminds me of her work. And I think that maybe some, some of these um, flowers are started to peek through the weeds, if you will. Oh, that'd be wonderful. Yeah. Well, I know uh, the internet has changed the game. I mean, it's really made it much hard, made the gatekeeping much harder. That's right. That's right. Even yeah. though uh, people like uh, YouTube and Google are, are doing their darnest to, to restrict some of it. But I don't know. Maybe that's temporary as well. Hey, Craig, thank you so much for being here tonight. And again, thank you for your work. It's work uh, that is really much needed in our industry. And we appreciate your time and your effort. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a real pleasure. 
Beyond Reality Paranormal is hosted by J.V. Johnson and produced by Orion Palmer and Slick Eddie Edwards. Like us on Facebook and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Please consider supporting the program either through your podcast platform, click on the link in the description, or on Patreon at Joha Productions. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Paranormal or you have a recommendation for a guest, contact our producer, Slick Eddie Edwards. Eddie is spelled with a Y at slickeddieedwards at gmail.com.